thought that was great what you did out there. It was stupid, but it was great. You should probably go to the nurse. You might have a concussion. What's your name? You don't know my name? No, I know your name. I just want to know if you know your name. Peter. Parker. Peter Parker. I'd still go to the nurse, though. You're Gwen, right? Gwen Stacy. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave Does Podcasts, a Two True Freaks presentation. I am your host, David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. This time around, it's a one-off, a standalone episode which is not part of any ongoing series, but it's an episode where I get to let something go. Something is going to be lifted off of my chest. See, I'm going to be talking about Gwen Stacy, not how she died. Yes, the night Gwen Stacy died is a seminal story, we've all read it, but I want to talk about how she lived who she was, and what she and Peter's relationship was actually like. See, I'm in the minority of people who enjoyed both Amazing Spider-Man films with Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, and I have a huge personal attachment to Gwen, but it's hard to deny that Gwen was chosen to be in those movies less because of her role and importance to the Spider-Man saga, but because she was expendable. Gwen Stacy is the girlfriend that died for most of my generation, at least those of us that grew up in the 80s and 90s. Mary Jane is the lowest lane of the Spider-Man saga, but Gwen is a sad, sad memory. And that is selling her short. You know what? No, that is actually criminally robbing a character, a really rich and key character, of her much-deserved due in the world of Spider-Man, which is Marvel's flagship character. And I'm not so naive to think that Gwen's death didn't affect Spider-Man in relevant ways. Her death created pathos. It grounded Spider-Man's adventures in a sense of real danger. And that world that was created off of that was where I grew up. You know, the Spider-Man story of the 80s and 90s. For good or ill, it had an effect on me, just not the one you would expect. See, I found Spider-Man through an old crate of coverless 70s era comics that an anonymous donor left to the American Legion gift shop. And in those comics, I read a Spider-Man who was deeply in love with this gorgeous, intelligent, sweet, but not too sweet, blonde named Gwen Stacy. Now, it was keenly aware that in the era that I was reading this in, in the modern era of that time, Spider-Man was in a very serious relationship with Mary Jane Watson. So I assumed that Peter and Gwen must have split somewhere along the way. I mean, in what universe was Peter Parker actually going to keep an ideal specimen of a woman like Gwen, right? To be completely honest with you, Gwen Stacy was a perfect 10 in my book. I had one hell of a crush on her from those old comics. So imagine how crushed I was when I found out via a nonchalant comment in Wizard Magazine that Gwen had been killed and she had died horribly. You're free to laugh at my ignorance all you want, but just remember that for context, this was the 90s. We didn't have Google or Wikipedia at our fingertips. Moments like that one where you're just happening to read along, that's how you found out things like this. And it broke my heart. And that is half of why I want to do this episode 
episode, which I'm not even gonna beat around the bush, guys. This is an unabashed love letter to the character of Gwen Stacy. But another reason is that, and I guess I'll throw up a spoiler warning, Gwen is back. It's not really a spoiler if you take note that there is actually a title currently published by Marvel called Spider-Gwen, but spoilers anyway. And it feels, I don't know if exploitative is too strong a word, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe cheap. Yeah, we'll go with cheap. It diminishes what Gwen brought to the table in her original appearances prior to her death. It makes the impact of her death feel hollow. And I'm not so blind as to the original attempts to bring Gwen back as a clone who wasn't actually a clone. Yeah, forget that mess. And let's all just agree that Sin's past was a big, steaming pile of It might have started with a good idea, but it did not play out that way. But if those aren't bad enough, we have Gwen from another dimension swinging around like a superhero. And I'm not judging the actual quality of the stories, I haven't read it, because I won't be reading it, because it just, again, cheapens Gwen Stacy, but realistically I know that it's because Gwen Stacy was brought back by Emma Stone, and she's back in the public consciousness, but come on, can nothing be left to rest in comics? Gwen Stacy may be the girlfriend that died, but that wasn't always who she was or what she was intended to be. So I'm going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, I will be talking about the golden-haired love of Peter Parker, Miss Gwendolyn Stacy. Daddy, what did you do when Atlantis attacked? I donned my iron armor to fight with Namor, the Submariner! That was Iron Man. What did you do when Atlantis attacked? I gathered a group of heroes to fight against a serpent crime with my mighty shield held high! That's Captain America. Try again! I spun a web any size? Spider-Man... Uh, I punished the drug dealers? I have no idea. But are you just doing another podcast? Another podcast? Yes. Mark's Mess vs. Atlantis Attacks, a 15-part limited podcast series examining the Marvel annuals that have the banner heading of Atlantis Attacks. A story... A story joining the Marvel heroes against the Serpent Crown. Find it at marksmesspodcast.blogspot.co.uk, on Twitter at marksmesspodcasts, and on iTunes by searching marksmess. Welcome back. Let's jump right into the Wayback Machine and let's set it for cover date December 1965 and the first appearance of Gwen Stacy in Amazing Spider-Man number 31. The first thing that slapped me in the face when I started really looking into this, kind of breaking down the actual information versus perception, is that Gwen Stacy was a product of the Lee and Ditko era. Which is odd because to me, it's she's so connected to John Romita's depiction of her. That's what I picture when I picture Gwen Stacy. In fact, most of your major Spider-Man characters I do picture in Romita's pencils. That's not to boast the superiority of John Romita versus Steve Ditko. Both have great qualities. That's just a matter of preference and a matter of exposure. Where we find our characters here is that Peter has just graduated from Midtown High. He's transitioning to Empire State University. He has this really stressful scholarship that he's working under. So he's got to bust his ass, make sure he gets the grades or he loses the scholarship. He loses everything because Aunt May certainly can't afford to send him to college, primarily because she is deathly ill at this time. Amazing Spider-Man number 31 is relevant for another reason. It's the first appearance of Harry Osborn. That's right, Peter's frenemy and the son of his worst enemy is introduced at this point, 31 issues in as Peter enters college, not high school. Peter and Harry never met until college. Same with Gwen. Keep that in mind. In fact, Gwen and Harry actually went to Standard High. So the way that Gwen enters the picture is through Flash Thompson, 
who is meeting Harry and Gwen, making friends, and he actually calls out to Peter Parker, who accidentally snubs them. It's not that he means to. Peter's mind is so hell-bent on these grades, keeping his studies up, taking care of Aunt May, and of course, you know, the whole being Spider-Man thing. So Peter totally doesn't register it. He doesn't realize they're calling out, but he comes off as an ass, that he's snubbing them, and they take it personally. Intentional or not, that is the effect that happens here. Now, Gwen, as drawn by Ditko, you can tell she's a beauty queen, and even Harry mentions that she was the beauty queen of Standard High. You can imagine if Harry's going to that high school, it's probably an affluent high school. I never saw Gwen as technically rich, but maybe that was the original intent here. But you can tell she comes from an environment where she was queen of the hill. She was top of the heap. And you would think that Peter snubbing her would be the end of it. Nail in the coffin, done, done. Yet we find Gwen intrigued by Peter. In fact, she says he's not as husky as Flash, but he is brighter and very attractive. Gwen is even trying to make the first moves and flirt with Peter, but Peter is so involved with what he's doing that he completely misses it. So he just comes off as a complete ass. And I feel like it's kind of important to mention here that Peter, he hasn't had a ton of relationships. He's kind of missed the cue so far. He had Betty, which was kind of always going to be set up as a failure, just because they're from two different perspectives, really, what it is. They weren't meant to be. It's not bad or good on either character's end. It's just not meant to be, and that's fine. I want to note that at this time, Betty has been proposed to by Ned Leeds, so that train is sailing as well. And again, Gwen has been slighted. And you would think the unintentional slight would simply just make Gwen done. You know, she can have almost any man that she wants, and this guy is blowing her off? By complete accident, it actually ends up intriguing Gwen even more and pushing her to pursue him even harder. And that's kind of the ebb and flow that's going to be the core of some of the first stages of their relationship. And you know what? The core of this is simply, it's a matter of transition is what it is. Going from high school to college, and that's never, ever really an easy transition. There's two different worlds at two different paces. In high school, you're observed, you're monitored, you are pushed, you're part of a structure. In college, you show up, it's your money on the line, nobody really cares. That makes it sound ineffectual, but at the same time, you're an adult. Your grades are your responsibility. Showing up is your responsibility. Nobody's going to send a truant officer to your house if you don't show up because, you know what? You paid for it already, kids. But structurally, it's also different in a social sense. High school is a bit of a biosphere. It's it's contained in, its, in and of itself. Its own social structure Sure, you may see kids from other schools, but you belong in this dome that is whatever high school it is. And generally, high school districts are made up of surrounding areas, so you're part of that geographical region. So there's a shared experience in high school. In college, there's not as much of a central social structure. Everybody's coming from different geographical areas. Some live at home. Some live on the campus. Everybody's coming from different areas with different agendas. And you're an adult. You're able to do things you couldn't do in high school. To give you an idea of what I'm saying, when I went to college, I realized people would show up in their pajamas because nobody cared. There was nobody here to impress. Not in the same shared social biosphere as high school. We're just trying to get through this college thing and get on with adulthood. Now, for those who are waiting for me to mention it, yes, this particular incident is where Peter went up against the quote-unquote master planner, which was actually Dr. Octopus, who had the medicine that would keep Mant May alive, and Peter was penned under all that machinery and went through that big, big moment where he lifts it off of him. That's a huge, huge turning point for Spider-Man, realizing just how much he can do if he sets his mind to it. It's a point that he comes back to, at moments of desperation, he realizes when he's without hope, all he has to do is keep going. And Spider-Man, after this whole master planner, Dr. Octopus thing, is a much, well, not completely different, but a noticeably different Spider-Man. This is a more grown-up Spider-Man. He's really left the high school era behind at this point. I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but the title of issue number 33 was the final chapter, and that is kind of the end of a certain chapter in Spider-Man history. Issue 34 begins the next stage, where Peter is really immersed in college, able to really look around and see what's happening. And he realizes, okay, I have totally been a douche. And he tries to make amends, he tries to reach out and and meet people, because now he's free to do 
so still got the scholarship stress, but a little less on the Spider-Man Aunt May front. And the more he tries to fit in, the more it backfires. And that's the ebb and flow for a while, Gwen seeing something more to him, but she can't quite figure him out. At one point, she admits that somehow, some way, Peter doesn't know she exists. And bear in mind, the beginning of issue 34, when we first see Gwen, she's as close to literally fighting off men with a stick as you can get in the real world without actually using a big-ass stick. The suitors are flocking to her like flies to honey. And she's fixated on this guy that, to her knowledge, doesn't know she exists. Now, you could say that Peter would be forbidden fruit. You always want what you can't have, and that might be true, but I think I'm going to give Gwen a little bit of credit and realize that she sees that Peter is different from the other guys around. There's something more to Peter than what is on the surface. She knows this. She senses it. Now, bear in mind, let's also look at Gwen's background. At this stage, at issue number 34, Captain George Stacy, her father, hasn't been introduced, but we can assume, logically, that she is the daughter of a police captain. So with a police captain as a father, I'm sure dating Gwen was probably difficult for some men who, you know, were afraid of breaking her heart and ending up with a ton of speeding tickets. But in all honesty, to look at that, George Stacy is a man in power, a man who commands respect. The protectors and servers of the community report to him. And we're also dealing with a man who is very quiet and straightforward, so he doesn't scream for respect, he just commands it by his general demeanor. George Stacy is a very calm, insightful human being. There's a reason he's a police captain, he's earned his way to that position. Which also means that he's also very intuitive, which ends up kind of biting Peter in the ass down the road. But... Where are we now? Peter is representing some of those qualities that she sees in George Stacy. They're there somehow, some way. For some reason, Gwen's the only one that's noticing them because they're just below the surface. They're more the Spider-Man elements of Peter Parker rather than the thin-skinned college guy who's not wanting to be seen for his brains. And you know, Gwen's assessment that he is snotty may not be completely wrong. We're dealing with somebody who is trying to grow into himself. He wants to be seen as something more than a brain. So he ends up coming off a little bit abrasive from time to time. But there are little moments where Gwen sees something more, where Flash starts mouthing off, and Peter is not afraid of Flash. Flash is this big dude who could, really, if Peter wasn't Spider-Man, he could pound Peter into paste. So to move on from that, I mean, Gwen is seeing something that nobody else is. She's intuitive to some extent. She takes after her father. Now, if you speed ahead, Ditko leaves after issue number 41, in which we learn the Green Goblin is Norman Osborn. And with issue 42, we see stunning John Romita art. And for the first time, Gwen Stacy dons her headband. Note that, that's 10 issues in. From her first appearance, she then wears the headband. This is also a turning point because we see Peter actually start to fit in. Now this is just in time for Gwen to kind of start lightly dating Harry and hanging around with him. And it's also just in time for a big bad wrench in the gears by the name of Mary Jane Watson. <sighs> Do you mean you're Mary Jane Watson? <laughs> Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. But the reason this has changed is that we start seeing the supporting cast solidify a bit. We have Harry, Flash, Gwen, and Mary Jane. They become this social group hanging out the silver spoon or the coffee bean. And of course, anytime you get a social group, there are social antics. Especially when you get a bunch of nubile, energetic young people together of opposite sexes. Well, somebody's going to get brokenhearted at some point. And wouldn't you know it, just about the time Peter's kind of sort of dating Mary Jane and Gwen is kind of sort of dating Harry, jealousy rears its head. Gwen sees Peter with Mary Jane and she starts getting really, really jealous. No, she's probably reluctant to admit that she has the feelings that she has for Peter because he's not really been a great 
member of this tribe here. He's not really given her a great track record. The Gwen's knowledge, Peter doesn't even know she exists, and here he shows up with his vivacious redhead that all the guys are really turning their heads to take a look at. That's usually Gwen's position. She's not stuck up, but she's very conceited by accident. That's just nature of her environment. And let's also defend her a little bit. She is an 18-year-old girl. She's coming from a high school where men fawned over her and girls wanted to be her. She's basically Regina George from Mean Girls without being completely mean. Let's be honest, Gwen Stacy could have been a much bigger bitch. The reason I like this concept of Gwen having a little bit of an ego, which gets damaged by Peter, is it makes her realistically flawed. I mean, show of hands, how many people had their stuff together by the time they were 18 and entering college? I mean, sure, there are exceptions to the rule, but most of us were still growing into our big boy pants at that time and big girl pants. And it's that sort of damaged ego that intrigues me and really just kind of watching Gwen grow into Peter. Going from I'm Ben Spurned to really becoming fascinated because she can't figure him out. He's so different. She's able to see the noble Spider-Man power versus responsibility going on in his head. She doesn't know it, but that's what she's seeing. And her pursuit of Peter, her perception of Peter, is what kind of drives her forward. Into our story that draws her closer to Harry, it draws her closer to Peter especially, and creates this social environment of these people. And then you bring this redhead in here, and it, ev- it just throws her off even more. So yes, it's jealousy, but it's also just, what is up with this guy? What is his deal? Gwen isn't the first one to ask this question. She's just one of the first ones to not give up on that question and to pursue it to its logical end. And some of that is her her father, George Stacy, in her, the cop in her. Now, for his part, I've made a theory that Spider-Man, that Peter, is a perfectionist. And I've kind of laid that out in an episode of Dave's Daredevil podcast that, you know, he tries to have it all. He will pursue it and he won't give up on that. And, you know, that's why he felt the need to make amends with Harry and Gwen. It's not enough that he has defeated the Lizard, Molten Man, Green Goblin... He's taking care of his sick Aunt May and saved her while keeping his scholarship and grades going. That's not enough. For you or I, that would be too much. For him, it's not enough. Because on top of all of that, he needs to make sure he's cool with these people. He needs to be seen as something more than a nerdy egghead. He needs to be a complete person in their eyes as well as his own. And that's why he's here. He's part of this group. He continues to be part of the group. He values this group and especially values Gwen, even as he's dating Mary Jane. Now, this particular run with Mary Jane doesn't get very far, but while they're both in the same environment, you see Mary Jane and Gwen getting very, very catty. Both care for this Peter Parker guy and both feel a little defensive, a little territorial. To be honest with you, Gwen and Mary Jane aren't the BFFs that they would like to tell you they were in modern sense. I mean, there was a whole story in Amazing Spider-Man number 365, the anniversary episode, where Mary Jane warmly remembers her BFF. That is not the case. For the most part, they got along-ish. They tolerated each other. They were kind of friends, but more, they were rivals. I mean, to the point that it went from funny to awkward. Around issue 83, there is a picture where Flash Thompson is leaving to join the army, which removes an uh, arrival for Peter off the record. But as he's leaving, Gwen and Mary Jane have this kissing contest to see who is a better kisser. Very passive, very much in your face to each other. Now, to put these two up together, Mary Jane was presented as a party girl. Party all the time, take nothing seriously, life is a big, big joke. She seemed to take nothing seriously, and I know we've been treated to a retcon where we find out that actually that wasn't the case, she's a completely different type of person. I get that, I do. But that wasn't Mary Jane's original depiction, and if I were Peter, I would certainly be looking at Gwen a lot more. Because let's be honest, it would be hard to consider getting serious with Mary Jane when she doesn't take a damn thing seriously. But coming back to Peter and Gwen, around issue 53, Peter and Gwen go from just kind of flirty to being a dating couple somehow. Now, most of that may have come from Mary Jane basically calling out Gwen when she's 
on a date with Harry, saying that she was on a date with Harry because Peter didn't ask her first. But the important thing is they do become a couple. It wasn't easy, it was a rocky road, but eventually they both become a couple and they're fairly happy. But you would think that Peter and Gwen getting together would be the easy part. And no, it's not. Because really Gwen and Peter being in a relationship only complicates things more for Spider-Man. I mean, you start realizing that her father, Captain Stacy, kind of sort of probably knows that Peter's Spider-Man, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But ultimately, Spider-Man becomes this big-ass wrench in the gears. And so there's this breakup when Gwen thinks that Peter assaults her dad, in which it's actually the truth is that Captain Stacy assaulted Peter and Peter accidentally defended himself. But it ends up getting nasty there. And that breakup actually lasted from issue 60 to 66. It's not just a petty breakup. I mean, you assault somebody's father, they tend to be legitimate in their need to get away from you. You're abusive. Now, eventually, Captain Stacy says, no, Peter was was okay. I was wrong. Peter did not assault me. Go to him. Peter and Gwen get back together, and they are totally in love now. Which would be great. It would be wonderful. But still, there's this Spider-Man thing. The fact that Peter has this whole other life, that there's a secret that, you know, if we call it what it is, it's a big fat lie. Gwen knows there's something going on. Peter even tells her at one point, yes, I have a secret. One day I'll tell you. And Gwen says she'll wait a lifetime. So there's a certain slow and steady wins the race, a certain under understanding and patience that Gwen has. Gwen was too serious, maybe. Still upbeat, still caring, but sometimes a little too serious. But at the same time, most of that is probably rightfully so. Peter has this big lie. And Gwen seems to think that Peter is the one. She's really saying, I'll wait forever for you. You take your time. I understand that there's elements that, you know, you're going to share with me when you're ready, but I'm willing to wait. And if we're being honest here, if we lay everything out as it is and remove our knowledge of the future, remove our knowledge of who Peter Parker really is, that he is Spider-Man, if you look at it from Gwen's point of view, Peter had a horrible first impression. He came off as a total jerk. Regardless of the reasons we know, Peter still snubbed people. That's the way it came off, externally, outside looking in. Peter seems to rush off all the time, sometimes for no reason, sometimes when there's danger, showing he might be a coward, not all that great at protecting his would-be wife. Peter has a jealous streak. I mean, he actually calls out Flash at one point for accidentally hitting on his girl. And he has this admittedly serious secret, the kind of thing that needs to be out in the open before marriage is even discussed. Let's just add to the table that Peter Parker is broke-ass broke. He can't take her to do anything fancy. He's not a freeloader, but there it is. He doesn't have any money. And yet, the thing in his corner is not just that Gwen knows there's something great about him. It's that her father, George Stacy, a brilliant judge of character, by the way, by all rights, approves of him. George Stacy even defends Peter at times, as well as defending Spider-Man, because George Stacy, as we know, knows. Gwen doesn't know that her father knows. So for all that she's seeing, this is her father approving wholeheartedly of a somebody she's bringing home. So for the most part, there's a lot of negatives in Peter's corner, but yet we're seeing a few positives that make all the difference. There's something good about him, and George Stacy approves. Now, we should probably talk about that just a little bit. If your child is romantically involved with somebody like Spider-Man, a vigilante by all sorts, yes, powered, yes, I get that, but a vigilante working outside the law, a vigilante who brings dangerous criminals into his orbit then you would probably do what Dennis Leary did in the Amazing Spider-Man movie and tell Peter, stay away. The city needs you. You're gonna need this. You're gonna make enemies. People will get hurt. Sometimes people closest to you. I want you to promise me something, okay? Leave Gwen out of it. 
promise me that. When Dennis Leary's version of Captain Stacy did in the movie, it wasn't to slight Peter. It was, look, this is dangerous. You're doing something good. Gwen is going to get caught in the crossfire. Peter's not a cop that's been trained and gone through certain educational requirements or been officially certified to do what he does. He's self-taught. He doesn't deal with jaywalkers. He doesn't deal with speeding tickets. He deals with Dr. Octopus. He deals with the lizard. He, Green Goblin. And the thing is, Captain Stacy has watched Peter do some twisted things. Take Amazing Spider-Man 87 as Peter and the Prowler fake Gwen out. If Captain Stacy knows that Peter is Spider-Man, he knows he just blatantly lied to his daughter. Went out of his way to lie to his daughter. That doesn't hold a ton of promise for a good son-in-law. But Captain Stacy looks more at the positive than the potential negative. He looks at the sunny side of life. And people, that is Captain Stacy's Achilles heel. Amazing Spider-Man number 90, right where I came in. Remember that I talked at the top of the episode about those old coverless comics? Right here. Upon Captain Stacy's death, which was as a result of a fight between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin, Captain Stacy admits that he knows. He says, take care of Gwen. Gwen hates and blames Spider-Man for her father's death, and maybe she should. Again, Spider-Man invites things into his orbit that aren't natural. They are dangerous. They are potentially lethal. Spidey draws a crowd. And George Stacy was a believer in Spider-Man, and that belief and that sense of altruism led him to sacrifice his life. Now, that most of that's just because Captain Stacy's a good person. But ultimately, this changes things for Gwen. Gwen hates Spider-Man. She loves Peter, even when there's a rift there. Eventually, they do come back together. Things get back to a somewhat new normal, but... It's just heartbreaking that this was never going to be an easy relationship. There's always going to be barriers that were thrown up. So a lot of it is actually against the odds that these two would even find each other, that these two would connect and have the type of romance that they have. And it's just something in Gwen's character that allows her to intuitively know who Peter really is. And that's that same thing that Captain Stacy carried. And Captain Stacy's death was, of course, it was it was a prelude to what was going to happen to Gwen. If we jump ahead here and look at the last scene of Peter and Gwen together, it's in issue 121. They are gathered with Mary Jane over a concern for Harry losing his mind. And they're thrown out of the Osborne household by Norman. At this point, they have weathered Peter's odd behavior, sometimes insulting and sometimes relentlessly irresponsible in a lot of ways. She's weathered the loss of her father, and she and Mary Jane are in this civil relationship now. They, they're civil because they're joined in their concern for Harry. This is the last time that Peter sees Gwen alive. Now, supposedly they went to a soda shop, Peter goes swinging off, so on and so forth. But let's be honest. Let's think this through. I mean, yes, it's tragic. Nobody knows when it's their last time to speak with somebody. There's a lot of things that would have been said, a lot of things that meant to be said. But if we remove the tragedy from this for a moment, where was this relationship going to go? There were still going to be barriers coming up. I mean, how would Gwen eventually react to the revelation of Spider-Man's secret identity? When Peter told her, and he would have had to have told her if this continued... How would she react to a lie? And a lie that is directly tied to her father's death. Now, of course, they played with this in issue 24, I believe, of What If? But at the same time, I think that story got off light. Because Peter said, well, your father knew and he was okay with it. And that seems to have worked. No, I don't buy that. I think Gwen would resent Peter. It would be a complete total of resentment. She would realize, you know, the pieces fit. Oh, he when he's running off as a coward, it's not to do that. It's to become Spider-Man. But it would slowly eat at her that for years he's been lying to her. And this brought down her father, just as she suspected. And he, you know what? Peter was there at the funeral with her, in the car with her, comforting her. Right after her father died, listening to Gwen yell how much she hated Spider-Man, Peter was there and did nothing. He did nothing. He could have consoled her. He could have told her the truth then. Then when it mattered, but he didn't. It would have been the biggest hurdle of all, and I don't know that Gwen and Peter could have gotten past that. And here's the thing. Peter didn't tell her. Gwen died without knowing the truth. And sure, I've seen retcons thrown my way, but no, she died without knowing. And that's tragic to me, that she never really got the full picture. 
it makes that relationship so complex. And that complexity is what makes Gwen so important. It's why the relationship was so compelling. This relationship was one that Peter had to work at. He had to adapt. He had to change and grow up to be a part of it. And through this relationship with Gwen, he and Flash became friends. He and Harry became friends through Gwen. If Gwen hadn't been as intrigued as she was with Peter, she would have never welcomed him into the fold. He would have never become close friends, good or bad. That's up to you. I mean, Harry did end up becoming the Green Goblin and making making life miserable for a few people. But for a long period of time, Harry was also a very valuable friend and somebody that Peter deeply cared about. College and young adulthood is what we're looking at here. And maturity of relationships start to become a theme. You start seeing something completely different. There's no illusions of the high school biosphere anymore. And with Gwen, we saw her actually mature and grow as a character. She went from this sweet-centered girl who was kind of slighted to a very sweet and caring person at the last scene that we see her in. Conscious, at least. She's concerned about her friend Harry. She's concerned enough that she and MJ are getting along great because they're both concerned. They're both wanting to take care of their friends. And that's a beautiful thing that we actually see Peter grow up as an extension of Gwen and we actually watch Gwen develop as a character and build. And this is why I think Gwen is so important. We watched Gwen change as she lost her father. And of course, the loss of a parent forces one to evolve and grow up. And we actually saw her do that. And Peter stepped up to some extent. He was never quite there. He was always a few steps behind her. In a nutshell, the romance of Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker is central to Peter Parker becoming a man. And you know what? Knock that off. You have dirty minds. You know what I mean. When Peter started dating Gwen, unlike when he was dating Betty, the stakes became higher because Peter had something to lose, somebody beyond Aunt May. That growth and that experience cannot be repeated nor replaced for Peter Parker. The Spider-Man villains may have been the bricks to his growing up experience as a superhero, but Gwen Stacy and the relationships as an extension of her are the mortar. I'm not going to pretend like Gwen Stacy was perfect. She wasn't. She wasn't an angel. She was snarky. She was catty. She was jealous. She was petty at times. But she was also caring, understanding, and patient in ways that most girls wouldn't have been with Peter Parker. And as we saw her grow, we went from a girl entering womanhood to a progressive character. Somebody who was three-dimensional. So to kind of put this to sleep and wrap up the episode, it wasn't that she died that affected Peter. Her death definitely resonated, but it was because of the way she lived that that death was so important. She helped build Spider-Man from a young boy to a man. Certainly his path was continuing after her loss, but built off of the foundation of what was started with her. The main thing I want you to take away from this episode isn't just that she grew, that she helped Peter grow. Those are very important, yes. We saw these two characters progress into adulthood, and she be a very big piece of Peter becoming an adult, but she did more than die, people. She did more than die. She lived as a character. She affected these people when she was alive, long before she was taken up to the bridge by Green Goblin. So remember that. Gwen Stacy is a three-dimensional character who lived in the pages of Spider-Man. But that's going to wrap me up this time around. Of course, leave a review at iTunes, search out Dave Does Podcasts. You can also find the show at twotruefreaks.com along with some other great podcasts. You can email the show, of course, at davedoespodcasts at gmail.com. Join the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash davedoespodcasts as well as Twitter. My username is at Dave Weeder. Remember, everybody, have safe and happy holidays. We will all see you back here in 2017. Until then, I am David Weeder. I do podcasts. I had only know it was the last walk in the rain. I'd keep you out for hours in the storm. I would hold your head like a lifeline to my heart underneath the thunder. 
Dave Does Podcasts is a Two True Freaks production and is made for entertainment purposes only. The show does not draw profit from the characters or concepts discussed. All opinions are those of the host and do not reflect the views of any other individual, entity, or organization. The copyrights for any music or sound clips lie with the copyright holders. They are used for entertainment purposes only and no infringement is intended, as this show most certainly does not draw revenue. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time.